there are a lot of ways to break down a soccer match, a football match, whatever you want to call it. You can talk tactics, you can talk players, you can talk managers, you can talk luck, you can talk skill. But at the end of the day, sometimes one player is simply the best in the world. Or at one point was the best in the world and still has everything that made him the best in the world. And that was the case for Argentina today. Because they weren't perfect. They were slowly but surely maybe getting better. And then the man, the myth, the legend made an entire country of 44 million people scream at the exact same moment. When he picked out the bottom corner to give them a much-needed 1-0 lead in a 2-0 win over Mexico. I'm still buzzing, Amit. Are you buzzing? Yeah, of course I'm buzzing. That was one of the great Messi moments in his career. One of the great World Cup moments ever. I mean, not like the greatest, but up there. He saved them in this group. It was an awesome goal. Like, this is why the World Cup is awesome. It's the biggest stage and one of the best players of all time. Like you said, had the whole burden of a country on him, and he delivered. It's really hard to live up to that, and he did. That's what makes him awesome. Argentina were staggering, right? They were poor to start this game. They maybe didn't get the tactics right. Mexico's low block things. Currently live on my TV, the Qatari security officials are attempting to get the Argentina fans to leave the stadium, and they are not leaving the stadium. So good luck (laughs) with that, guys. Uh, This is the World Cup After Dark Podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's Amit Malik. I'll get back to the point I was making. Uh, They were sloppy. They weren't great in possession. Messi was getting the ball practically at his own penalty box in a a throwback to Argentina's past where he gets the ball and has no one to pass to. And then they kind of started to find their footing. They brought Enzo Fernandez on. That was a positive change. They hadn't really created much yet. And then boom. It was messy. You know how you beat Mexico Memo, Amit? You put it right in the frickin' corner. And that's what he did. 1-0, and it just felt like a weight was lifted off this Argentina team that had been there since Saudi Arabia equalized on Tuesday. Yeah. it That goal by itself changed the percentage of Argentina getting out of the group. Out of the group by 20%. It's hard to imagine a more impactful goal. And for Argentina's psyche more impactful either like what he did was just insane and Mexico had denied him space all game like you said he had to keep dropping deeper to get it and they finally he gets what they were a step late right like yeah a step late they came down to he got found space in the midfield and the player who was attempting to close which was Herrera was one step late from blocking him off and Memo Ochoa was like one inch away partially screened and one inch away yeah And that's the difference. And that's sometimes what this stupid, stupid game comes down to, right? Everything that you put into it, all of the tactics, all of it just comes down to inches and and moments and seconds. And Messi capitalized because he's the greatest ever to it. Yes. That's, that's the point of like game breakers of what match winners, that phrase comes from because in a match, it came down to one guy who had the power to score a, low probability chance because he's that good and one mistake and I think you know that's mostly where the analysis of the game starts is that Messi was unreal and saved Argentina and it was one moment and then from there I think Mexico tried to chase the game they were unsuccessful doing that and a very good goal um, for for Argentina well taken and Fernandez on the second a really nice strike he has to start against Poland I think Argentina 
significantly better. You assume that Poland are probably going to approach the game relatively similarly to how Mexico did. Yeah. And you have to have a midfield passer that allows Messi to not have to be the midfield passer. And Argentina didn't right. have that until Fernandez came up. Agreed. It was a lot of work on Tom uh, Rodrigo DePaul, and he couldn't do it. Tom? Where was Tom <laughs> coming from? Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's from something else. We, okay. Go ahead. It, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't know this why. Is inventing Argentine players now. Apparently. I do. I, I yeah. Um, Rico DePaul was was not great at progressing the ball because he just was a little slow. Mac Allister was good. Yep. But not great. And the Di Maria, who is at his best as a winger, was having to drop back. And then when Enzo Fernandez came on, Argentina was able to move the ball to manipulate Mexico's defense to pin the back. So it mattered. I think when you, you start with, okay, Messi changes game, but then you dig in deeper and it's like, did Scaloni win this game? Did he do enough to change it? Was his initial lineup, we changed it so much after a successful performance, but not result against Saudi Arabia. And on the flip side, was this Tata's only way to go? And yep. did it, was he just undone by Messi? Like, or was should he have should he have had a more positive setup? Those are the two questions I think so let's, you can let's, ask. Let's start with Scaloni. This was a big moment for him, and I don't know that he necessarily passed it with flying colors, but he got through it. Right. Right. He looked nervous. He looked panicky. To be honest with you, he looked like a dude who has never held a full time managerial job other than the one that he's holding right now, and had never been in a moment like this. And to be fair, that's what he is. Right. Like I yeah. think. The concerns about experience and knowledge reared their ugly head, and I don't know that Scaloni really quieted the doubters on that. Look, he did enough, and he relied on his star player, and there's value in that, right? Like, he has Messi playing as well as he's played for Argentina. That's valuable. Probably made a few too many changes, probably got a little bit too cute with the lineup, and it was probably about 10 minutes late in adjusting. I think he probably should have made the switches at halftime. It was clear that Argentina were not going to find their footing in this game without getting a passing midfielder on, and that probably should have happened at halftime. That said, he put the right passing midfielder on, put Enzo Fernandez on. I think he was pretty intelligent to switch Argentina after the goal to revert to a more defensive formation, simply because you knew that Mexico was going to have to attack the game, make it as difficult as possible for them to attack the game, and trust that the attacking talent that you do have can kill it off in space, which they were able to do. Scaloni was fine. I don't think he's the reason Argentina won this game, but he did enough to kind of stay out of the way to let them win it. Going forward, I think it's kind of a question for Argentina because the cool, calm, collected Scaloni that we'd seen for 36 matches unbeaten was not what we saw today. He was a sweaty mess on the touchline, you know, screaming, adjusting, going at refs, trying to make changes. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for Argentina, but also, I get it, right? Like, this was the biggest moment he'd had as a manager, and he got through it. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I think you covered all the different parts of that in there. Because, <laughs> yeah, he the lineup, I think, it starts there, right? The team, you know, dominated Saudi Arabia, yeah. right? They had one goal in XG, plus a penalty, plus four disallowed goals. And Saudi Arabia scored twice on... 0.15 xg yeah, yeah. Low quality so chances. so you know he they still didn't get the job done and partial i 
we could I don't need to suss out his blame in that, but he play he takes some blame. And then his reaction was we're playing a defensive team, let's put less good ball playing yeah. midfielders in. That was a little he probably didn't need to do that. He probably shouldn't have left DePaul as the main hub in deep lying midfield and he, he had his attackers, you know, what did Lataro Martinez do in this game? Nothing. He he did nothing. nothing. And listen, that's Mexico played three center backs. Yeah. He throws in that space. Yeah. No, it's fault. Not, it's not Lautaro's fault, but he did affect the game. Yeah, there was one too many attackers and not enough guys yep. who could play the ball. And then Lissandro Martinez was good in the back line. He came in. Uh, I don't know exactly what's up with Cuti Romero, but yep. th- th- I don't think that one was necessarily impactful. ESPN FC, as they're wont to do, was like, Lissandro Martinez played and Argentina had a shutout. Like, okay, yeah, that's that's why. But look, two games, Argentina have allowed a total of 0.4 XG. Yeah. Total in two games. So, like, listen, they're playing Saudi Arabia, not a good team that scored two worldies or a worldie. And then they played Mexico, who is one of the most toothless teams yeah. in the tournament and set up as defensively as possible. So, like... Argentina's doing what they're doing. I think to your point about the inexperience, about him passing the test, which we agree he did, but not with flying colors, is that he does do a good job. Argentina's done a really good job through this run, particularly in Copa America, of shutting down leads. He is as proactive as possible. The second we lead, we're going to shut this down because we are good enough to do it. And on the whole, he's been right. And Um, an important thing with that, he knows that he doesn't need a ton of players to be super effective on the counter. Right? Like, he has the human counterattack in the one ball that Lionel Messi can play. And so, it's not like you need five or six guys who can stream forward on the counter. And there was a moment where Argentina looked like they were going to go get their second, if not for a really good challenge from Gajardo in the Mexican defense, where it was two or three guys going forward. And so, because of that, that gives you a bit more space to sacrifice some attacking players because you can still be effective on the counter. Agreed. He's He's been able to get through qualifying through Copa America by not having to tinker too much, not having to rock the boat too much. Yep. He's been able to just kind of throw guys out there and generally let his team do the work. And then here it was, Mexico, a team built for this game, not built like over years, but like putting out their best yep. foot forward for this game to stymie you. And he eventually got bailed out, but did the right things. We just, we would have liked to see it a little bit quicker. But overall, I think we agree on Scaloni. Let's see what happens the next yep. moment for them. But this one done. Job's not done, though. Still have to to take care of business in the last game. So one more quick thing on Argentina, and then we're going to put a pin in Argentina and come back to them after we talk about Poland, Saudi Arabia. Because now the interesting question for Argentina is, can they go and win the group? And that's going to be something that's really important because France is most likely going to win the other group. Argentina are missing Giovanni Lo Celso. I think this game really made that clear because he has been one of those midfield players who can help advance the ball and move it forward. Because what Argentina needs to do is create a system in where Messi does not have to be that guy. Messi can be that guy. He can do anything. But Argentina are better when somebody else is that person and Messi is the one who's receiving the pass. If Messi's giving the pass, then you're counting on somebody else to make the game-breaking play. Argentina are best when there's somebody else. It's traditionally been Lo Celso. In the second half of this game, it was Enzo Fernandez. 
when that person is the person who plays the ball to Messi and then Messi does all of the Messi things, right? That is when Argentina are best. And I think they've hopefully been able to find that out. Let's move to Mexico. We understand the approach from Tata Martino. I don't think it was a terrible approach. It almost worked. Argentina were shaky. They had to get bailed out by a big moment. Although you kind of expect that's what's going to happen when you have a world-class attacking player on the other side. This is the way that Mexico chose to approach it. I think we can both agree that it was vaguely successful without giving a a full-time result. Was this the only way that Mexico could have approached this game? I think I think maybe given the limitations of Tata's squad, perhaps. It's tough to say you look at this group and you go, okay, big first game against Poland. We drew it. So is your plan to get through this group, draw, draw, and then let's get to Saudi Arabia and beat them? Because that's a very that's a hundred and eighty minutes required of winning low event football. And you know, they did. They limited Poland, they limited Argentina. The XG for Argentina was 0.4 or 0.2 in this game. Literally, this was one of the worst total single game XGs possible. That one thing about this match is for the first 45 minutes, it was miserable to watch. And we were enjoying it because, and you were sweating through it. Yeah. But stakes. Stakes. Yeah. That's what makes it. But it was really covered up for bad football. Yes, totally. So on that sense, like his plan worked, but as you said, like when you play this way, you're inviting yourself for some moment to break you and it takes one mistake. And (laughs) I, I, I saw a really interesting tweet, which is kind of agrees. It's not groundbreaking with the thesis of everything that we talk about on this podcast and what we know now about international football, which is good teams in the world cup type of competition, try to, limit the variance and bad teams want to increase the variance to yep. give themselves more of a chance. That's what Herb Renard did. And it worked really well. And this is the opposite of that. This is the bad team saying, we also want to yep. limit the variance and you're just giving themselves nothing going forward. And that was part of it, right? That was part of, we're going to play for a draw on zero, zero. It's hard to do that for 90 minutes against an Argentina, a team with Lionel Messi in it. And it was hard to do that against Poland, right? Like, they, it almost yeah. cost them against Poland, if not for a penalty save. I think the problems with Mexico are very far-reaching, right? And yeah. now that they're actually at this tournament with the players that they have, I think I understand why they're approaching it in the way that they have. I but agree. the issue is not something that you can paper over and fix in the context of this tournament itself, right? The issue stretches back 12 months, 18 months, two years. And that's, I think, the bigger problem for Mexico. And that's why when this tournament is over, there's going to be a new Mexican manager and there's going to be a big change within the Mexican program because of everything that has come before this tournament. I think Martino's had a, had a fine tournament, but the hand he's been dealt, which maybe he dealt it to himself, right? right has right. not been very good. Yeah, I think that's... We're on the same page here. And it's tricky because <laughs> I, I don't think you could have lined up in this game with maybe four in the back and tried to press Argentina and create your own chances. Then you're asking for it because Argentina are just dangerous in open play in transition, but they, they got done in. So they're not done. They're not done. Um, They're going to need a lot of help on the final day. I mean, do you want to talk about what maybe these teams need or do you want to talk about the other game first? Yeah. Let's, let's get into Poland, Saudi Arabia. This was a two nil win for Poland. Evernard nearly did it again. He has his guys playing really well. 
they missed a penalty, an insane double save from Wojciech Chesney to deny them a potential equalizer at the end of the first half. Um, Poland are still Poland, right? Like that's the, kind of the big takeaway here. You probably shouldn't turn the ball over to Robert Lewandowski just outside your own box. Bad things will happen. And a bad thing did happen. He scored his first world cup goal. Poland got the result they needed to get, and Saudi Arabia now have another chance to try to go through, but they could have really helped themselves out today. Is that kind of a a big, good, overarching takeaway here? I think so. I think the game looks completely different if Saudi Arabia scored their penalty kick at the end of the first half or the rebound. And then we see it's very interesting then in the second half of which team leans leans for the result a little bit more. But I was impressed, and I thought the approach was right from Renard. He gave his team a chance. They played with the ball. They made Poland uncomfortable. And Poland, as much as we don't like them, they did what they had to do. They, like, defended. They were opportunistic. The first goal was a good pass from Lewandowski. They got numbers in the box, late runners. Okay. And then they, you know, your goalkeeper bails you out. And then in the second half, the door was open, but they couldn't do it. And then (laughs) Saudi Arabia made a mistake. At some point... When you're Herb Renard and you're trying to get a team whose overall talent level is gestures gestures lower to get them playing collectively higher, you're asking them to do a lot. And I know that's a mistake, but like, there's a reason why bad teams don't build out of the back, and this is what you live with. Well, and also, I think it was a really good play by like, so the defender loses the ball. And he immediately loses the ball. And he's got that, oh, crap moment, right? And he tries to hack Lewandowski down. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's like, I'm still outside the box. I'm just going to take him down, take my yellow card, and we'll go from there. And Lewandowski did really well to kind of, like, do this kind of strong high-step motion where he didn't let him hack him down. And then he's won a moment the keeper, and he scores. So, like, a mistake that then gets compounded by high-level quality on the other end. Yeah. And we've been waiting <clears throat> for Poland to do something at a World Cup. And a 2-0 win against Saudi Arabia is a low bar, but that's what Robert Lewandowski with an okay team around him, that's their level. And he is that good. So they did it. And Lewandowski could have another. Go ahead. Yeah, they hit the woodwork a couple of times. Poland were generally a bit more adventurous in this game than they had been against Mexico. They were deserving of their win. I think Saudi Arabia had an argument that they could have gotten a point from this game, but Poland deserved to win this game. And now this group of it sets up very intriguingly for the last day because there's two subplots here. Who's going to go through and plot B, who's going to go through and not have to play France immediately in the round of 16. And that is bigly important, hugely important for this group and for who goes forward, particularly for a tournament favorite in Argentina. And there's opportunity for these other teams. If they can go through and avoid France, you have a favorable draw, right? So Poland sit on four points. They top the group. Argentina and Saudi Arabia are both level on three points. Argentina have a slight edge because they have a goal differential because they got a second goal against Mexico, which was pretty important, as you'll see. Mexico are on one point at the bottom. Poland know they go through with a draw. Argentina know they go through with a win. And Argentina also know, Amit, that they win the group if they beat Poland by more than Saudi Arabia hypothetically beats Mexico. If Saudi Arabia don't beat Mexico and Argentina win, they win the group. If Argentina win and they beat Poland by the same amount or more than Saudi Arabia beats Mexico, they also win the group. This is okay for Argentina, right? I think they're in a decent spot here. It's just they're dealing with the possibility of maybe going out. Right. And that pressure 
after they lost to Saudi Arabia was going to be on them. It was not yeah. going to be that one game solved it. They needed to put together two performances against the two other good teams in this group because they lost to the on paper worst team in the group. And it's a good situation to be in. They did well on game one of the two to set yep. themselves up. They couldn't have set themselves up that much better. I mean, sure, more goals would have helped, but they already have the edge. So, yeah. listen, if Saudi Arabia win, you score goals, I'm sure they'll know. They'll have ideas yeah. what the scores are live. It's happening at the same time. But the, the, it, every goal matters, but Argentina's in a good spot because is Saudi Arabia going to beat Mexico one? We'll see. Maybe. Maybe, but you just go in, we'll play to win. We'll play to win, yeah. and when we score, we don't stop. Because yeah. Poland's you, you, Poland's going to come and attack you. you, you absorb it. But like you just mentioned, Argentina are dangerous on the counter with a few players. They're well set for this game. What's interesting is on Poland's point of view, how do you attack this game knowing that like a draw yeah. gets you through, but can you play for the draw against Argentina? Then you're just asking for it. And a draw gets you through, but potentially maybe in second depending on what ha- it's it's a super interesting situation for for Poland and an interesting thing for Argentina here is you know you have to go for the win but a draw also could potentially get you out of the group depending on what the Mexico Saudi Arabia game goes how that game goes right like if that's a draw an Argentina draw they go through but they go through in second so i think yeah. you're right in you don't really consider that until there's 10 minutes left and you're maybe staring at your World Cup ending, right? Like, Correct. you play with the intention of trying to win this group because that is a significantly better shot for Argentina. Right. And the expectations matter here. Argentina's expectations are to make a deep run to be World yep. Cup favorites to ho- hoist the tournament. So everyone wants to make a deep run, but for the other three teams, their first priority is getting out. Obviously, Argentina can't afford to go out either, but they have the talent to back up that game plan, that overall expectation. For the other ones, yes, I'm sure Poland would love to finish first, but if you if you pursue that strategy, your risk of going out is it's a it's more of like the the two outcomes yeah. prisoners dilemma type of thing. I think the approach for Poland is you got you can't bunker in completely, but I mean, I it's, don't think we're going to see a super different approach from Poland than what we've seen so far. Right. Like, this is yeah. how they're built to play. They're going to be able to play that way. So I think that's what they're going to do. Mexico need to beat Saudi Arabia. And the more goals they do it by, the better chance they have to get out, right? Because they are three points back of Poland with the goal differential the way that it is, they're going to need to beat Saudi Arabia and hope that Argentina can put a lot past Poland to get by them. It's possible, right? Like, you, so there, are, here's- there are worse you know, best case scenarios. If Argentina win by two, yep. where does that leave Mexico? That would leave Mexico needing to win by three. Okay. How many goals yep. have Mexico scored this tournament? Well, zero. Zero. Yep. So I think Argent I think a reasonable expectation for Mexico is to win by two. Winning yep. by three. Sure. Once you're in multiple goals and it's on, you're chasing the game. But like Scoring the first goal is going to be hard enough, and Saudi Arabia have clearly proven themselves to be a worthy opponent. It's not a game you can come in and, like, let's run it up, because yeah. it's just not that way. And Mexico can't even get the car going out of the driveway. So <laughs> it's it's really interesting what they do, and I think what helps Mexico is the 
is knowing in their head Argentina's motivated to beat Poland and, and to score against Poland to cement their top spot in the group. So that says, okay, we're not done. Like we need help, but that help, we right. just have to assume the help is coming. Yeah. And Saudi Arabia have to play, right? Like Mexico are not going to come up, up against a team that is banking on a point to go through. Like, like Saudi Arabia have the expectation that they probably need to win to go through. And then they can adjust that as the game goes on. If Argentina starts putting yeah. a lot of goals past that, the that makes this Mexico Saudi Arabia game fascinating. It's going to yep. be uh, really, really good because both teams want it. One team can't score; the other team got lucky scoring, but is going to play good, more attacking soccer. It'll be really fun, and of course, Argentina Poland. You never know which Mex- Argentina team you're getting. Is yep. it the free, unburdened Argentina, or is it the team that looks shook? So we'll yep. see. Where are you at big picture on Argentina as we close out the discussion here on this group? I think the concerns are a little magnified about this team, but overall they're still a contender. They've gone into the final day with the best chance of being the team to win their group. And if that happens, I think their odds of getting where they need to be return to what they were. Sure. But the concerns about Scaloni are, are valid. We, yeah. He he oh, he did okay, but is he the guy to get them through a tough match when he has to make really challenging decisions in real time? So yeah. we'll see. And they're not done yet. I think Argentina look at times um, stuck. They look stuck sometimes. So it, it it's still another test. And then Argentina have not been tested defensively, honestly. Yeah. They haven't. And I don't think Poland's going to be the team that does that. So, first of all, get out of your group, Argentina. But then if they do... Preferably win it. Yeah, preferably win it. And then if they do, then we see, you know, what their defense looks like against a better team. But overall, I still think they are in the top tier. But you can't say they've played better than the other favorites. By, By far, I think France, England... Well, France and Spain have so far shown themselves to be... Brazil, right there as well. And is right there. So those three teams, I think you'd all have them ahead of Argentina at this point. But this is around what we expected for Argentina to be in that inner circle. Get out of your group first. You're right back there. Sure. All right, Amit. I'm going to count on you for this next game because here's what I have written down in my notes. France 2, Denmark 1. Two UEFA teams played. Mbappe good. That's a pretty accurate summary of the game. I think France, it was really good for them in an unfortunate way that Lucas Hernandez went out. Theo Hernandez has totally transformed their attack, and he basically plays as a, as a fifth man in the attack. And Denmark saw what France did to Australia and was wise to it and said, okay, we're leaving five in the back. Yeah. So it led to a totally cagey, tactical chess match to... Uh, UEFA teams with a lot of talent going against each other. France dominated the ball. They had their chances. Denmark had a few on the counter. Denmark, very dangerous on set pieces. Um, But in the end, Mbappe is just that good. And he is currently right now the best attacking player in the world. And it's not particularly close because he is a one-man buildup. He's a one-man dribbler, passer, and finisher. And he does all of that. And he did all of that today. He started the goal, the first goal, with a really good dribble and a really good line-breaking pass. He got the through ball back and scored a little bit lucky, um, took a deflection, and Cash for Schmeichel just, just missed it because of the deflection. And then credit to Denmark, they got a set piece, very good delivery from Christian Eriksen. They scored. 
Denmark are just a solid team. There's nothing remarkable about them, but when you are that kind of team, it makes sense to be very lethal on set pieces. Yep. And they were. And then the winning goal was a great cross from Griezmann, who has been very, very good for France. And (laughs) Kylian Mbappe is, on top of all those things, a freak athlete. So, like, he's, he's at the moment unplayable he's the best attacker in the world uh i none of my annoying things about him were that he was bad but he has just been really fun to watch because there's no one on his level right now he's pretty close i think to like prime cristiano ronaldo in terms of what ronaldo could do before he was just a finisher in that Uh he can take you on dribble shoot pass and he's explosive so france good money for their 2-1 win Overall, I'm impressed that France have decided to attack and go for it. When this game was 1-1 with 20 minutes left, they could have said, we'll take our point. But uh, France has really staked their claim as, I think, played the best through two games. Brazil and Spain have a chance to match that when they play um, tomorrow. But overall, this was a good win for France. And Denmark uh, sets up a really interesting final game. Yeah, so... I agree with what you said. I didn't watch this game super closely. It was in the hour before the Argentina game where you're just dreading what's <laughs> upcoming. I, I, like I said, I think it was positive for France. I think it was, it was kind of nice that they got tested a little bit. That's never a bad thing as long as you come through well. And it was a good sign that they continued to attack the game at 1-1 because they could have very easily kind of gone into England mode and said, ah, this is a perfectly fine result. We're fine. We're good. Um, and they didn't do that, and I think that was good for them. And look, they're really good, and they have really good players. Yeah. And that's yeah. Great There's games. not a lot to add. Didier Deschamps has been good in doing those things through two games. And there was the question about the midfield, yeah. and Chawamani has been awesome. He's yeah. been really good for them. His pass completions and percentages are awesome. You watch them play, and the attack looks seamless. So uh, France already threw. They're going to finish top of the group. They just need to keep it going. We'll see what happens when they get a real test. Do you rotate if you're France going into that last match, knowing that the only way you don't win the group is if Australia is if you don't, if if you literally lose to Tunisia and Australia beat Denmark by a bunch, do you rotate if you're France? Do you give guys a day off? Yeah, I I, not in a disrespectful way to Tunisia, but France's depth is one of their, you have to think long term. Yeah, and when you're a contender, you need to set yourself up. If you have the ability to give your best guys extra rest before a knockout game where you can lose in one game, that is an advantage that you would have over that team. Right now, the the teams we just talked about um, in Argentina's group, Poland, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Argentina, one of the teams is going to come. They're going to have played three hard games without much rotation in either of them. So that's an advantage. They should do it. And you expect your B team or your rotated team to still get a result against Tunisia or not lose. So, yep. yes, I think I think that will happen. Okay. Last game to talk about from today, a game that you described to me off air yesterday as less than doubtful for the 4 a.m. Central kickoff, Australia 1, Tunisia 0. I'll take the lead on this one, Amit. Does that sound good? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the Socceroos. They did well. They played well in this game. Uh, they were forward thinking. They were attacking. They took advantage of their chances. And you know who was really darn good for the Socceroos in Mitt Malik? Your, your Stoke City legend. Harry Suter, baby. 
He's been out forever, played one game for Stoke, now at the World Cup, and he's killing it. He was great. He played some fantastic long balls. He has really good distribution. They can skip the midfield with him. And he had some really impressive tackles. This was a disappointing performance from Tunisia because I think they were good against Denmark, didn't have the finishing touch, and they were not good today. They failed to string passes together. They failed to connect play. They still didn't have the finishing touch. They struggled to break through this Australia side. They conceded an early goal, didn't have a significant reaction to it. They saw a lot of the ball, but they didn't really do anything with it. And they've pretty much knocked themselves out of the World Cup because of it. Yeah, I think you hit it perfectly. And from what I've watched um, in a lot of chunks of the game and my understanding of it from what I've been following the commentary, I think that Australia's organization um, supports not surprised, but was superior to Tunisia and yep. their overall like approach to the game was better too. They were willing to pass and control the game. I don't know if Tunisia was not expecting that, but they really could not get through uh, Australia's block. And this is a well-organized Australia side. And we saw that for 30 ish minutes against France, right. the talent deficit then showed up, but this was a very good performance for Australia and the goal itself a very well-taken goal. That yes. cross took a deflection, and he has to head it in midair. World Cup of headers back. World Cup of headers back. Talk about a, a low XG header, but well done from Australia. And then that's this is the low event soccer. They went up a goal, and they were well. Australia is well-equipped to be leading by one against most teams, and Tunisia are not well-equipped to chase a game. They live in 0-0 in a little more chaos games, but that took the chaos out of it for Tunisia, and they had to go attack a set defense, something they're not well-equipped to do, which is disappointing. Yeah. I think this Australia team are certainly a surprise in that, look, they weren't great against France, but nobody's going to be very good against France. And they scored first against France. They were organized for a little bit. I think that's a perfectly fine result for them. They went out and they got the big result that they needed. They didn't just get, you know, the draw. Ah, oh, you're still technically alive. Let's draw. They got the win. And because the result that they would have expected happened in that France beat Denmark, Australia are now basically in the same situation that Iran are, another team from their confederation. They go into the last day with the knowledge that a draw, barring any freakiness from Tunisia, is going to send them through. And that's yeah. a really good situation to be in for them. And that's a situation that I think they would have snapped your hand off at the start of the tournament if you offered it to them. Totally. They are, and they're going to believe that they can get a draw or a win against Denmark. And the pressure is fully on Denmark, a team sure. that everyone thought was easily second to get in this group, had a chance to go first. And Denmark have been fine. And it's similar to the U.S., in just that, okay, it's all down to the final day. You take care of business and you get through. Honestly, I know it's not going to feel this way given that we're both Americans, but there's much more pressure on Denmark to do this. Denmark are much more expected to get out of this group. They need to put together good performance, and Australia are tough to play through. So, And I think Australia will take heart in the fact that they scored transition goals in both games, right? Like yeah. they opened the – Scoring while playing a defensive block and transitioning out of it against France. They open the scoring while playing a defensive block and transitioning out of it against Tunisia. You know what they're going to have to do against Denmark? They're going to play a defensive block and need to transition out of it. And I think that will give them the the positiveness that, look, they're not going to dominate the game. They're not going to take the ball. They're not going to look to attack Denmark. But they know that they have the players in their system that they can transition out of their defensive block 
and that will give them the confidence to set up in that defensive block. And if they score, then they were in a really, really good spot here. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. It's a really tricky proposition for Denmark. I think they've left themselves a very tricky job. Yep. Um, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, you'd bet on Denmark's quality and their set-piece X-factor, but it's a lot more interesting than we thought it was going to be. And that goes to Australia's organization. And honestly, they've they've played well. Their talent has is better than we thought. So. Tunisia, any hope against France, Amit? It's hard to imagine. France's rotated team would have to be sleepwalking and uninterested. But even so, I think even a rotated team would not want a loss against Tunisia. Part of what France have done well this tournament is, I think, quell the external narratives about them. I know that's like narratives and on-field stuff like don't match, but I think it matters for a team's psyche. They don't want to be seen as losers, as collapsers. Um, so they're just going to go and play normally. And they've and looked think, certainly happy and free-flowing through two games. Yeah, I think rotating probably helps France with that too, right? Like if you put the same guys out there for a third game in whatever amount of time it is with the knowledge that they're coming back and playing again quickly after, maybe you fall into some of that, eh, we're just going to kind of sit back and sleepwalk. But if you put in rotated guys who are looking to earn minutes later on in the tournament – Right? Like, this was the old Austin Miller blowout lacrosse adage, right? The thing you always go to is like, ah, these are big moments for these bench players because you could be winning moments later on, right? Like, that's what this is on a much bigger scale for France. You put in the rotated guys, and if they show something, maybe they earn something later on in the tournament. So it's hard to see anything for Tunisia. And also, they haven't scored yet. Right. Uh, in terms of toothless attacks, this is worse than Mexico, probably. So Yeah, right up there. I mean, you know what comes tomorrow? Oh, it's another the... massive game with a contender on the ropes, except this time it's not five at the back Mexico waiting on the other end. It's literally Spain that Germany have to contend with tomorrow. Germany put their World Cup campaign on the line. They need at least a point to stay alive. They lose. They are done against Spain. How excited are you for that one? So excited. This is the best game on paper of the group stage and it has stakes uh germany on the ropes and i'm just so excited i like both of these teams a lot i like the way they play i love their talent i've been i've been gushing about both of these teams for this whole podcast and now we get to see it play out and i'm very excited because this is essentially like a champions league level final in terms of one game it matters for one team to win. And the talent is like, we've talked about matchups like, okay, Bayern, Dortmund, oh, Leeds, Chelsea. This is like Bayern versus Barca slash Madrid. And right. historically, Bayern have kind of had their way with Barcelona in the Champions League. And I'm not saying that's going to apply here, but in general, Barcelona have been too slow in their passing versus Bayern's awesome transition. Okay, that's club football. And this side in international football, Spain are moving the ball like dreamlike sequences. It's yeah. as beautiful as it gets. And Germany have been really efficient and really structured in the way they build up. They've gotten the ball to their most dangerous players, and then they get in the box and they can't score. Um, and the chess matches here are with the midfielders, the outside backs, who's going to score. And it's it's just all setting up for a delicious, tasty game. And the fact that there's pressure on someone to go means it's not going to be 
a KG all UEFA match, which is the right. worst case scenario for this game. Right. So I, I think the way that I described this match, I don't know if it was on a podcast. I don't know if it was in a text message to you. I don't really know what it was. This match went from two massive UEFA favorites playing a low stakes game that might determine who wins the group to two UEFA favorites playing a game that might determine whether one of them stays in the World Cup. And that just takes the stakes and just raises the bar immensely. And that makes me excited for this game. And also, look, Spain have a lot at stake here, too. They're in a good spot, but they still have to play Japan. And based on what we saw Japan do against Germany, that's a dangerous opposition. If Spain approach this game lackadaisically and they go out and lose, they're going to be under pressure on the last day. Yes, it's a game against Japan. And yes, they'd be favored to beat Japan. But with Germany still having Costa Rica to come, there's stakes here for Spain as well. And as I said, at some point, you have the opportunity to put a nail in another really good team in this tournament. If you're a really good team in this tournament, you should take that opportunity. Agreed. This is a banner moment for Spain, potentially, after two disappointing World Cups. Yep. They were top of the world in 2010, didn't get out of group in 14. You know, 2018 flamed out to Russia. They, they, this this organization needs a signature win and this is that if they could yep. do it and i think what also makes this game interesting is that given what you said about spain they don't need to win this game but they have japan they want you know okay all of that another manager in this position imagine what gareth southgate would do right imagine Play it, what nil, nil, boys. would do what Play did it, we nil, just nil, see boys. yeah what do we just see tata martino do and then Luis, it's Luis Enrique. So I don't think he's going to back down. We know Hansi Flick doesn't back down. He, he can't. They played, they played a crazy... Yeah, he can't. They don't have another way to play. That's how Germany plays. So I'm wondering if one of these teams is going to make themselves more defensive and to protect themselves from the other team's talent, or if we're just going to see strength against strength, attack against attack, kept both teams press against press like then we're in for fireworks i think spain would be more likely to to be on the back foot but that's not their mindset so is germany on the back foot having to defend and counter against spain would they like their chances doing that or do they think they can pin spain in neither of these teams have are, are, are should be good defending but they're going to have to do it yep it's a great match. It's It's got everything you would want from a group stage match. And the knowledge that while, yes, a draw keeps Germany alive, technically, it's not going to be a good situation for them. We'll see what Japan does against Costa Rica, but let's give Japan that win. Let's just play that hypothetical. Japan's on six points. Spain draws against Germany. Spain gets to four points. Germany's on one. They have to beat Costa Rica and probably by a lot of goals because Spain beat them by a lot of goals and Spain would have to lose to Japan. So a draw keeps Germany alive. And if Japan have an issue against Costa Rica, it puts Germany back into this even more so. But the most likely scenario is they need to go and win this match and they can't just play for a point. And yeah, that's the stuff that you want. And that's what makes a Sunday afternoon group stage match between two of the best teams in Europe. Yes. Sign me up here for it. Yep. You, it's going to be it awesome. Now. Play yeah. it now. Let's talk <laughs> Japan-Costa Rica. Is this going to be Costa Rica's moment in this tournament? It has to be their moment. Will they be good enough? We'll see. Uh, that's the big question of this team. Are they good enough to make life difficult for a very good team for even a stretch of this game, even a yeah. half of this game? And, 
the answer you would bet is every team at the World Cup can generally play a good half at some Panama point. did it. Panama yeah. kept Belgium's goalless for a half. Yeah, so like, can they do that in the first half and then see where that takes them? Um, maybe. They, this is they, a really they... important game for Japan, right? Yeah. They were really good against Germany. They did well to get the three points. You cannot let down in this game, yeah. right? You what? cannot have a moment where you kind of sleepwalk through this and you let Costa Rica hold you to a point. All of a sudden, Germany beats Spain, and you're going into the last day where, oh, crap, Germany's going to play Costa Rica, and we have to right. get something against Spain. I think that's one of the reasons that makes this a harder proposition for Costa Rica is that Japan are a relentless team yep. in their mindset and their approach. The way they play requires high intensity through 90 minutes. So there's only one way to be successful. It's not like they can, you know, be lackadaisical and expect to get a result. That's bad for Costa Rica. If they're playing yep. maybe a team that was going to take them lightly or just think that they could walk into it, Costa Rica would have a chance. That's not going to be the case with Japan. Japan is going to put Costa Rica in the ringer, and then we're going to see what this Costa Rica team is made of. And I'm not saying that they're going to get blown out, but I find it hard for Costa Rica to get through 90 minutes without a goal. The question is, can they delay it, and can they steal something the other way? I don't yep. I don't know with this Costa Rica attack if they have anything. Sure. It's a... It's a... Decent enough early kickoff and kind of the type of thing where maybe you set a halftime alarm and you just peak. It's like, ah, oh, Japan's already two up. Nope. Back to sleep. Right. right. We'll see. The other games tomorrow, Mitt, let's go back to the excitement that we have in Group F, right? Belgium, potentially fraudulent Belgium on three points against Morocco. Let's see if Morocco has a go at that Belgium backline and Croatia, Canada. These are just two really good games, right? Totally. This group we highlighted at the very start as the best group in terms of drama. Every game is going to be good. And lo and behold, we have two awesome games. Both, all four teams think they can win it. Um, I just want to start with Croatia, Canada. Canada outplayed Belgium. And then their coach, John Hernman, said, F, we're going to F Croatia. That's what he said. I don't know if he actually said the word, but I think the, the quote said F Croatia, which is hilarious to say that against the team that went to the world cup final and you are in your first world cup and just lost. And that's the kind of confidence that makes Canada awesome because they're going to go into this game and be like, I see a bunch of slow dudes and old dudes and we are fast, athletic and dynamic. Whoever's can, you know, find good finishing in this game is going to win it. But that approach from Canada is awesome. And I think, it's not a mistake, but it's dangerous to uh... <laughs> wake Croatia up. Yes. To pull a fire. Yeah. As, I don't know you want to do that. Countries in this tournament that I would not want to say those words about, Croatia ranks like third or fourth. Serbia is obviously first. You're not getting out of Serbia yeah. alive if you say that about yeah. Serbia. The national pride and the mentality yep. of the Balkans is something else. And. Yeah. I know, like, Luka Modric is the talisman of their team. Is it, like, a paragon of terror? But they're just all – they're tough all over the field um, elsewhere. So this makes for really fun – this makes for a really fun setup. And I think we'll see chances both ways, and both teams need a result here. Yeah, absolutely. Croatia only have one point. Canada, unlucky, but are on zero. And then in the other game, Belgium puts themselves on the line again, and you have a Morocco team that aren't – 
going to be content to just sit back here because I don't think that's how they're designed. And we'll look at Belgium's old slow defense and say, yeah, our two best players can have a go at that. We're going to put them on the right side of the pitch and we're going to look at Belgium's left center back, whoever that has the misfortune of being. And we're going to say, we're going to attack you for 90 minutes and let's see what happens. It's fun. It's very fun. I like that Morocco's not going to back down. I think Morocco's going to copy the Canadian game plan. And I think Belgium are in for a tough one. Kevin De Bruyne, in an interview with The Guardian, said, I think our team's best opportunity was in 2018. We had some new guys in the squad, but it's just not there yet. We are a little too old. Which is not what you want your best player to say about a quote-unquote World Cup favorite. Um, that is extremely alarming. They just won. Can anyone yeah. tell Kevin De Bruyne that they won their first game? That's what. Why are you like adjusting expectations? You know after... why? You know why? Because at some point in that match, he looked over his right shoulder and was like, "Oh God, it's all their viral. It's Vertonghen again." Yeah. Um, the alarm bells are going off for Belgium massively, and I think another part of it is Roberto Martinez. Um, I suggested. At, on the last time we talked about Belgium, maybe he should bunker it in and try to do Louis Van Hall or Garrett <laughs> uh, Southgate. Uh, Wait, he's laughing. He's yeah, laughing. That's because what he does. Listen, that would be ugly and bad, and I far be it from me to tell any team to play more defensively. We don't need that. But this Belgium team just got carved up by Canada in open space, and Martinez is not a guy who's going to change his ideals. He wants Belgium to play free-flowing, positional football and yeah he leaves three in the back as a concession to that but it's three slow old dudes so uh the warning signs are on for belgium here the thing is they're in a driver's seat that they don't need to work that hard the rest of this group to get through but they're going to get a challenge from morocco who is desperate who only has one point and can smell the blood in the water so this is a really interesting game for belgium this could be the start of their collapse right here or it could be they scrape through and setting up inevitable collapse later (laughs) regardless they're collapsing i'm sorry like when your best player says we're past it our best chance was four years ago that tells me you have no intention of making a run in this tournament i love it i love it i mean it's got fire for the belgians usually i'm the one who's going after belgium (laughs) um one big thing to close out the podcast admit i've got it for you thank you Lionel messi what a dude like do you ever just like kind of bask in the moment and, like, I think me being here in Argentina has helped that. Like, I've seen Messi play in person one time. It was an incredible experience. 2016 Copa America Centenario, Argentina 4, Venezuela 1. I'm in literal Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, which is, like, soccer hell, right? Like, literally nothing good has ever happened there. It's where the New England Revolution go to play in front of 7,000 people on a weekly basis. Like, soccer mecca, it is not. But even in... Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts in a Copa America Centenario quarterfinal. When Lionel Messi was there, there was a buzz every time this dude touched the ball. And the fact that we get to live this on a weekly basis, and now we're getting to see his kind of maybe sort of probably last dance at a World Cup stage, and he just did that? Come on. Come on. Yeah, I we we could wax poetic about him forever because I grew up a Lionel Messi fan. Like, you know, I think we talked about this, the Messi-Ronaldo thing. Yeah. There was a Barca-Madrid thing for a while. There was a Guardiola-Mourinho thing. On top of that, this is Lionel Messi's fifth World Cup. 
He was good in 2006. He was good in 2010. He's been he's been their savior for a long time. That's an unreal amount of expectations. And then on top of it, I think uh, sports fans love this last dance idea. With sure. obviously with Michael Jordan, he does it. But recently, in the past five years, we've seen a lot of our our generations, us specifically, millennials, younger millennials. The athletes we've grown up with go through this, right? LeBron James ha- has d- has been there. Tom Brady has done this. We saw Serena Williams do this. Roger Tiger. Federer, Tiger, Rafa Nadal. Like th- these generations of athletes have had insane careers of longevity, which sets them apart. Because before that, this is right around the advent of sports science. These guys are all freaks, and they've just had 15, 16 year primes not normal and they've all had late in their careers some sort of renaissance which defies the math of athlete aging and Lionel Messi has been in this period post like 2014 he's just managed to be good for 10 years longer than anyone should have and here he is 2022 2022 this man was playing for Barcelona in 2006 and he's saving an entire country in a world cup in a game where they look hopeless by scoring a worldie against a goalkeeper who was just cemented as a world cup legend. This is what he's doing. He is doing stuff that is unheard of and he's on his last dance. Like, I don't know how you can process this greatness. Like, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's plain. He's, he's making his greatest of all time case right in front of us. It's awesome. You know what the other guy in that greatest of all time debates doing diving for a penalty. (laughs) That's right. Coming after you, Ronaldo. This is Messi's World Cup. It's ours now. He's the captain now. <laughs> yes. He effectively scored that goal and looked at Cristiano and said, I dare you to do that. Yeah. I dare you. Yeah, Unreal stuff. Jumping high. That's all you have left, Cristiano. You can just jump high. Messi can still do it all. He's got everything. <laughs> uh, we'll be back. I don't know if we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Sunday. We might be back tomorrow. We'll definitely be back on Monday. We'll talk to you guys soon. This was a great episode. I don't say that a lot. This was a really good episode. Hope you enjoyed it. This has been World Cup After Dark. We'll talk soon.